Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Raw Prospect Podcast. My name is Emmy Nixon. Today is August the... August? (laughs) Oh my God, start over. No, why did I say fuck? No. Oh, we got to start over. Oh, shit. (laughs) What the fuck am I talking about, man? What a great start. What a great start. (laughs) My microphone fell, and then (laughs) as soon as the... Oh my gosh, okay. I just, I, just, I got rid of that one. Okay. Alright, alright, here we go. Yep. Alright, Yep. Three, two, one. And. Welcome to the Raw Prospect Podcast. My name is Emmy Nixon. Today is September the 22nd, and this is episode 74. Um, And joining me from Austin, Texas, as always, the stat king himself, Michael Ween. What is up, man? What's going on? (laughs) I'm still recovering from a messed up introduction. Yep. basically just a competition between a collection of golfers from the United States and a collection of golfers from Europe, um, typically consisting of the best players from those prospective parts of the world. Um, And uh, each round is a different format of competition. So there's alternate shot, best ball, uh, or four ball, um, there's different names for it, but it still means the same thing. And then Sunday, of course, you got the singles matches, which is the most famous part of the Ryder Cup. And uh, the closing, obviously, is, is very intense. Um, but um, so one thing to expect if you're new, obviously, is just the Ryder Cup is just different from any other golf event um 
just in the fact that players show so much more emotion and it means so much. I mean, obviously, every tournament means a lot to them, but you never really get to see these guys in a team setting like this where where this much is on the line um, and they're representing their countries, they're representing their, their teams um, and playing with teammates. Like this is, it's just unique in and of itself and also just the atmosphere of it. Um, you hear so many players, um, so many quotes about how the fans and and just the pressure around it create a whole different feel of golf. Um, so it's something I look forward to as a golf fan every two years and not getting it last year was definitely extremely disappointed. So I'm super excited. I'm super excited as well. Obviously, that's, I think, the biggest part of this is with fans, um, this event is going to be so much more entertaining. And I think that's, along with the obvious safety precautions, that was one of the obvious reasons they wanted to hold off on having the Ryder Cup uh, uh, until this year was so they could have those fans back watching this event live at the course. Uh, because that's really what this event is all about. Europe, USA, raucous fans, raucous atmosphere. That's what makes this event so fun. You have that energy uh, that you can only really find in golf, really in major tournaments um, that we also talk about here on the podcast when they do come about. Um, But let's talk about the course a little bit. It's being played this year at... Whistling Straits in Wisconsin on USA turf. Um, if you don't know much about Whistling Straits, it's a Pete Dye design course, and I want to talk about that a little bit and some of the challenges that it's going to present. Um, if you don't know who Pete Dye is, he's a famous uh, golf course architect, I guess you could say. Um, he's designed many courses from finesse. Uh, sort of shot placement based courses like Harbor Townings uh, Golf Club in um, South Carolina, Hilton Head, South Carolina, which I've played uh, every summer dating back to a couple of years ago, uh, to a more challenging, um, big, brawny courses like TPC Sawgrass, where they play the Players' Championship, I believe. Um, so he's really one of these architects, one of the more famous architects who's really changed the direction of architecture around the world. And he's designed both sort of kinds of courses, as I just pointed out. Um, so I think in terms of whistling straights, uh, you could probably speak to it more than I can. Um, but I do know that Regardless, Pete Dye courses generally tend to reward golfers who hit, who keep it in the fairway off the tee, but not only keep it in the fairway, they hit to the proper spots off the tee. Um, And those golfers tend to score well on his courses. So I think, obviously, 
it obviously depends on the format too, because you mentioned there are different formats that they do play. Uh, but hitting the spots off the tee, different spots depending on the hole, could give some of these players easier scoring opportunities um, than if they don't obviously hit the spot. That might sound a little bit general, but that's what I generally see with Pete Dye design courses. But you can you know a lot more than I do. So you right. Can- I mean, yeah, you hit it right on the head. That's true with all Pete Dye courses. But whistling straights with is the way it's unique is the fact that whistling straights doesn't really have any rough. Um, only about 150 acres of rough over the over the entire golf course. Um, and it has over 500 bunkers. So um, if you miss the fairway, chances are you're going to be in one of those fairway bunkers and you're going to be um, often a good 10, 15 feet below the level of the fairway and not able to even see the green. So um, accuracy is obviously at a premium at this course. And, um, and also just this course doesn't have any trees. There's no bailout really on any of these holes um so the wind plays a huge factor as well because it's just every single hole is exposed to the breeze um right off lake michigan and um i mean i i'm just really interested to see like what what is actually the strategy in like say like a alternate shot type of uh, format when that happens is like, like are these teams going to strategize based on, um, like pairing guys who drive the ball well with guys who putt well, or is it going to be something different? Like it's going to be really interesting to see how these captains um, strategize out based on the skill set needed for this course because this is this course is extremely unique. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. Depending on the format, how, how do the strategies vary? Um, so that's just a little bit about whistling straight. Since we are trying to keep this segment to a minimum, uh, let's move on and talk about the teams. Um, so I guess if you want to start us off with some of the players that you're watching or to each team. Um. Well, obviously... Um this U.S. team, the the common cast of characters, obviously, is Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, the, the common stars you hear um, just in any golf tournament, Brooks Koepka, um, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth. I mean, this, this American team is extremely deep. Um, but one thing that I always say about the American teams is – it often feels like more like a collection of players than it does a team. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that a little bit later because Europe always seems to have better team chemistry than the U.S. teams do. And that, and that's there's no different this year because you got all this drama surrounding different players. So, um, I'm to be honest, if I were to make a prediction, I, I would pick Europe to win, but I mean, we are at home. We have we have the fan fans on our side, and 
Um, we'll see. I mean, we have a lot of talent on our team. It's just whether the, or whether or not like they'll embrace the the team mindset. Interesting. Um, one guy I'm really watching for Team USA, and I think it's just mainly because I've talked about him before, and he's had some recent success, and that's Patrick Cantlay. Um, he's mm-hmm. coming in hot. He's won his last two tournaments that he's played in. Um, he took the BMW Championship, which is part of the FedEx the playoffs, and then he obviously won the Tour Championship. Um, so, and that's. You can take that with a grain of salt, given that this isn't a this isn't necessarily that same format. It's not really a real tournament, and so we don't really know how he fares in this type of environment. But regardless, he's playing really good golf. Uh, it's nothing more than that. It's his overall body of work. Uh, it basically stacks up to pretty much anyone playing in this event, uh, not named John Rahm who's currently the number one player in the world with the European team. Um, his work, his body of work over the past three months stacks up with anybody. Um, so that's a guy I really have enjoyed watching over the course of, obviously, the past couple months of last season. He's really rounded in the form. And among all the 24 Ryder Cup participants, this is according to The Athletic, great source, um, Cantlay ranked second to only John Rahm in total straight strokes gain over the last three months, the last six months, and the last year. So it hasn't just been the stretch of the past two or three months. He's been doing this for pretty much the past year. It just hasn't paid off into victories until recently. Um, so he's a guy I'm really watching. Uh, to see how he fares in this environment. But in terms of the USA, you mentioned it. Will team chemistry be an issue? Because that seems to be an advantage for the European team. Uh, Who knows why that is, but um, you can probably speak to to it more than I can. Um, But, you know, we're talking about personalities on this USA team. Uh, let's see, Justin Thomas, uh, Tony Finau, Dustin Johnson, Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kepka. that's been one that's been in the headlines as of late. <laughs> and you can probably speak to more that more to that than I can, but there's that. Bryson DeChambeau. Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeShip, like, these are all storylines, right? So, I don't know. It's going to be fun. I'm really excited to watch a lot of these players, some of the best players in the world. Uh, I really can't make a prediction. Uh, I hope the U.S. wins. Uh, But for that to happen, they're going to have to, I don't know, figure out a way to just galvanize the troops uh, and play good golf and get behind this crowd. Uh, You're on U.S. soil. So that should be something else that plays into your advantage. But uh, the Europeans are really good. So uh, 
Yeah, that is what it is. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to find an update on Tiger Woods' uh, status and health. I tried to, but I couldn't find anything. I don't know how big of a part he's going to play in this thing. I don't think he's going to be at Whistling Straits. But if I had to guess, he's been a big part of it in recent years um, as a team captain. Uh, he'll play some role in this. I don't know how you know that will work out, but I tried to find an update on his status. Couldn't find it. When we do get an update, we'll update y'all. Um, well, I, I think coming. Steve Stricker, he had a quote from, I think, a few weeks ago um, saying that he's doing well but i don't he, it was kind of vague he was he was he didn't really go into great detail so yeah like michael said once detail comes out we'll talk about it because um, i i think i think tomorrow is the because the crash happened in february mm-hmm. so i don't know how many months are between uh february and september but i can probably count it's like that. seven uh yeah, the seven month uh, to the day tomorrow is when that devastating car crash happened. Uh, so, just we'll probably get an update sooner than later. Uh, but hopefully, he's doing well. And if I had to guess, he'll play some role in uh, this event, as he always does. So, if you don't have anything else to say, that's all I really have to say. Yeah, I mean, too much. Um, yeah, I mean, just. Uh, really but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of different areas of nuance you can really go, but just like just as a, a stopping point, I'm just gonna say like some of the keys um, the U.S. has to hit on if they want to win. Like they have to get off to a good start. Um, Thursday morning when the first guys go off. And I believe it's um, it's four ball up first. They have to get off to a good start. They have to get points early. You see still so many years in the past where the U.S. gets behind and they have too big of a hill to climb in the later uh, parts of the Ryder Cup. Um, and they just they can't overcome it. So um, if you can get some momentum early, get a couple points on the board. Then the fans will get involved. Then you can kind of feed off of that momentum, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and that's that's going to be huge um, if we can get some points up and get a lead early. All right. So forget a lead, get a lead early, U.S. Um, don't come out and fall behind because it'll right. be really tough to catch up. Um, so, yeah, that's the Ryder Cup. Hopefully you all enjoy it. Maybe we'll do a recap next week. Probably not. Maybe we'll mention it. Uh, but, yeah, we just wanted to get that out there for y'all in case y'all are watching that. Um, but with that, we're going to move on to the meat of our Wednesday episodes. Right. That is football and the NFL. Exactly. So we're through, two, we're through two weeks. Last week we did our week one takeaways. And we didn't really plan for this. But I want to do like two minutes each, your takeaways, just your overall takeaways from week number two and what you watched and what you saw. Just like two minutes quickly, what what did you take away from week number two before we pick week number three? 
Um, well, as a Cowboys fan, one of the one of the big takeaways I had was Trevon Diggs is playing like a top ten corner right now. Um, I don't know how controversial that statement is, um, just in the grand scheme of things, but right now, for based on what I'm seeing, he's he's playing elite defense right now. Um, and that was that was a position where the Cowboys had some question marks going to come into the year, so I couldn't be happier with how he's been playing. Um, and then um, a couple other things. Um, one thing we talked about. Um, just in text while it was happening was the Saints and, and specifically Jameis Winston. Um, you picked the Saints as your lock um, for week two. And, I mean, Jameis Winston, he – I mean, he was under siege. Um, but the, some of the decisions he made were very Jameis Winston-esque. Um, it made it makes you feel a lot less confident in what's gonna what's to come. That's for sure. Um, that Carolina Panthers defense got to him, and you got to give them credit. They look fantastic. Um, but Jameis Winston, wow! Just when when the pressure gets on him, he just buckles and makes bad decisions with the football. Just unexcusable. Um, it's another one. Um, Derrick Henry is still a beast, if <laughs> if y'all haven't noticed. Yeah. Um, he's still really, really good. So, just in case y'all forgot, <laughs> um, he's kind of unstoppable. Yeah. Not, that's all I really got. Hey, yeah. I mean, what I really – big, bigger picture here, um, the teams that got big victories – week number one kind of fell back to earth a little bit and the teams who we had questions about or like were, were surprisingly bad week one bounced back uh, so teams like you know the Packers uh, they bounced back um, I don't know who was another team that bounced back oh yeah the Bills uh, they bounced back big time with a 35 nothing victory over the Dolphins um you know, I think a lot of these teams could be in trouble here. Um, I think the Dolphins could be in trouble. Uh, now that Tua has a rib injury, I think the Colts could be in big trouble. Um, a lot of these teams that are facing 0-3 starts uh, could be in big trouble. But that's just bigger picture, kind of what I noticed. Um, and we'll get more into the, the details when we talk about the actual matchups for this week in each team. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so, you know, nothing too big or outstanding. Uh, you still really can't overreact because it is only uh, week number two. But some of these teams' situations already are looking sort of dire. But we'll get into that. Uh, so let's just hop into the slate. What do you say? Yeah, and, and let's do this. I'm excited. All right. All right. So, to, so tomorrow we start week number three with a Thursday night game. Uh, the two and zero Carolina Panthers with Sam Darnold as their quarterback at the Houston, the one and one Houston Texans. 
who kind of hung around with the Browns until Tyrod Taylor was hurt in that game last week. Um, they will be starting rookie quarterback out of Stanford, Davis Mills, tomorrow night. Uh, so it's Carolina Panthers minus seven and a half at Houston. What do you got? Um, I've got the Panthers covering. Um, pretty simple here. You got a backup quarterback, rookie quarterback, um, making a debut start, obviously at home, which helps, but against the defense that is surging right now, um, Burns, um, Derek Brown, all those guys on that front seven, they're just absolutely crushing it right now. Um, so I, I think that's just going to continue. And as long as Sam Donald doesn't turn the ball over, I feel like I feel pretty confident. Very confident, actually. I agree with you uh, for a majority of the same reasons. The Just think about it. The Texans are starting a rookie quarterback making his first ever start because he came in the second half last week. That doesn't count as a start. He's making his first ever start in the NFL on a short week against what looks to be like a pretty good team so far. I'm not going to overreact, but a pretty good team in the Carolina Panthers uh, that has a defense who is playing out of their minds right now. They're a young, talented defense, as you mentioned, guys like Derek Brown, Jeremy Chen in the secondary. All these guys are starting to gel, and they rank first in a ton of categories defensively. And I know it's small sample size. It's only two weeks, and they haven't necessarily played like juggernaut offenses to this point. I mean, they played the Saints, who looked good in week one, but they can't be considered a juggernaut offense. And then they played the, the – who did they play week one? The Jets. They the Saints last week. And the Jets, yeah. I mean, but regardless, you got to give them credit where credit is due. They ranked first in points per game allowed at 10.5, first in yards per game allowed at 190, under 200. Uh, first in sacks with 10. They're first in quarterback hits. First in third down defense. You just go down the list. They're playing really well right now, and it's tough to ask a rookie quarterback making his first start on a short week, even though he's at home, to overcome this type of situation um, against a good defense like the Panthers. Uh, we were just are carrying this momentum over. Um, and Sam Darnold's playing really well. He's completing 68% of his passes. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's healthy, obviously, as of right now. And they had dynamic weapons on the outside. And Houston, I think, is pretty banged up defensively. I think they got pretty banged up uh, last week in Crete. So I think it's just too much to overcome for the for the Houston Texans. If Tyron Taylor was starting this game, maybe I changed my mind. Maybe at home since Tyron Taylor was playing well, I might take Houston plus seven and a half because that's a bigger number to lay. But since it's a rookie, I just can't do it. Uh, so yeah. we both agree there. All right. So we start off the Sunday slate with the two and zero Cardinals. Um, we should be one and one, but they're two and zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus seven and a half at Jacksonville. 
What do you have here? Um, this one definitely has some uh, upset potential in terms of covering the spread, just simply because um, I think that Jaguars' offense definitely has some juice. But I just think um, overall, though, I just have to put trust in um, the Cardinals' offense just being too much. Uh, I I don't know if I can trust Urban Meyer yet. I don't know if I can trust that Jaguars team. Um, and un, until proven otherwise, I just I still can't bet on teams that I I don't have faith in. That's just that just goes against my principles. I, I'm just gonna have to go with the Cardinals here. I agree with you. I think this Cardinal offense is super, super explosive. They have many ways they can beat you. Uh, Kyler, Kyler Murray, excuse me, is playing at an MVP level right now. We'll see if that continues moving forward. But so far, he's playing at an MVP type level. Um, you can make plays off script. The Jaguars' defense, let's be honest, it, it's not very good at all. They gave up 37 to the Texans in week one. I mean, it's just not very good. Um, and I just think this Cardinals defense and this Cardinals offense. They can beat you in too many ways. Kyler Murray with his legs. Kyler Murray with the deep ball. Uh, and this pass rush is much improved uh, against the rebuilding Jacksonville offensive line. I just think it's it's just a mismatch. I think the Cardinals are hot. The Jaguars are not. Uh, and this is this is going to be a, a critical game for for the Kingsbury uh, because you don't want to have these letdown games where you're trying to to pad that record early on before you really get into the meat of your schedule. Um, and I've seen it happen many times with many different coaches throughout the league. They start off fast, when they come into a game, they take it a lesser team for granted, they end up losing, and that just ruins everything that happened up until that point. Uh, so you can do that, but I just think the Cardinals are too dynamic, too talented, and they're just the better all-around team. I'll take them to win by a belt. 10 to 13 points. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, next up, um, Atlanta Falcons at New York Giants. Uh, I'm going to be super quick with this one. I think the Giants will cover um, that two and a half point spread. It, it's just simply because, like I said, I don't I don't have any faith in the Falcons. And also, um, I have this is not something I've said before. I actually really liked how Daniel Jones looked in that Washington game. I think he was the one bright spot you could really take for the Giants from that game. Their their defense hasn't been as good as advertised. But Daniel Jones looked like a competent NFL starter during that game. So if he can continue that and that defense can just get a couple of stops, I think they can win by three. I agree with you here. Um, the Giants played a really undisciplined brand of football in that game against the Washington football team. If they didn't have a lot of those penalties, they'd probably end up winning that game. Um, or actually, they do end up winning that game. Uh, I think Joe Judge has a focus, prepared, uh, coming into this week, really buttoned up offensively and defensively. I think Daniel Jones will play well against the bad Falcons defense. I think Saquon Barkley will get going on the ground against 
that Falcons rushing defense. And I just think the Giants really need this game. The Falcons are still a rebuilding team, uh, and they really haven't shown me much up until this point offensively. They did. The Buccaneers let up a little bit last week, and they let the Falcons back in the game. But right when they got back in the game, that game was over. Matt Ryan threw two pick sixes, and boom, it was done. Uh, so I just think the Giants need this game. They can't start 0-3. Um, and I, I'm not betting on the Falcons again after last week. I was feeling pretty good about myself because they cut it to three. But the, the Buccaneers ended up winning by 20-something. Yeah, so, that was crazy. Um, yeah, so Giants minus two and a half. I think they probably win by a touchdown. I just have a feeling that they're going to play really well this week. Um, so they'll, they'll get to one and two and stay in the division race. Yep. In the NFC East. Okay. While I type that in, the spreadsheet, uh, Baltimore Ravens, minus nine and a half at Detroit. Coming off a huge win against Kansas City on Sunday night. Man, was that a fun game. Yeah. I think think it's going to be a trap game for the Ravens. I think this could easily be a bit of a letdown. I think the Lions are going to cover. Um, and this is going to be my big upset of the week. i got to choose at least one of these. Um, I just think the Ravens, I mean, they played a fantastic game last week. But I, um, you see it so many times. You, go, you come off a big win. You come off a high. It's really easy to come out flat the next week, especially against a lesser opponent on the road. Um, you think you're going to cruise through, and then all of a sudden, boom, Detroit hits you in the mouth a couple times, and then you got to work for it. So I think they'll win by a touchdown in the end. Um, but I think Detroit can keep this close. To be honest with you, until, like, mid-third quarter, Monday night, I was really impressed by the Lions. Uh, and they don't have a lot going for them offensively. Mm. Uh, they're obviously limited at quarterback with Jared Goff. But you give Jared Goff credit because he played very well um, in, in, in that first half against the Packers Monday night. They actually took a 17-14 lead into halftime um, so take for that what you will. Um, give him credit. They're very limited offensively. Their only real weapon is real dynamic weapon is TJ Hawkinson. They obviously have a decent offensive line and a pretty good ground game, but they're not really an offense that's going to beat you down the field. Um, they're really more going to pound the ball and let Jared Goff manage the game. Uh, that's really what they're built to do. Um, and I, I agree with you. I don't think this Ravens defense is quite um, what it was last year. Um, they obviously lost some pieces from that defense up front, and then obviously losing Marcus Peters really hurts that secondary. I do think Jared Goff at home will be able to make some plays uh, like he did last week on the road against the Packers. Um, and I think the Ravens will probably win this game. I do. I don't think Detroit can win this game. 
just because I I don't trust their defense to stop this Baltimore running game. Uh, but I do think they can make it close and keep it within that nine and a half point range. So I do agree with you. Detroit will cover, but I can't take Detroit to win. Right. Um, I'm not taking Detroit to win either. This this is one of those where we're either going to look really smart or really stupid. So we shall see. <laughs> but hey, yeah. look, over the first two weeks of the NFL season, underdogs are 21 and 11 against the spread. Yep. So underdogs have done really well, especially big underdogs like this one. Right, exactly. Um, so it is, it, is the, it is the smart play. Um, like, as a thinking as a better, like this is the smart play. Right, exactly. So, uh, so okay, so next one here. Um, Chicago Bears at the Cleveland Browns with new starter Justin Fields. What you got here? Man, this is a tough one. Um, I really don't have any explanation for this. Um, I think... Didn't Jarvis Landry just get put on IR? Yeah, he has a hip injury. Yep. Yeah. I know Cleveland has a way they like to win. They're going to run the football. They're going to control the clock. They're going to take the lead. They're going to let Baker make the throws that he can. Uh, they're going to play off that running game, and they obviously have a great pass rush and much improved secondary. They have the formula to win. But I think now that Chicago, it's not that Andy Dalton played like particularly bad. Um, he didn't play like terrible. But now you have a quarterback that can make plays off script. And with a sort of rebuilding offensive line, that's very important. I do think Chicago is going to surprise some people. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they can keep this within a touchdown. Uh, I'm just doing this because I really like the way underdogs have performed up to this point. And I'm still not sold on, on, on Cleveland um, based off their performance last week uh, against the Texans. So, I'm going to take Chicago plus seven and a half because that is a big number. But what do you think? Yeah, this one this one's really tough because I mean, you got a rookie quarterback making his first start, but this one's this is different because he's a rookie who not only has a great arm, but like you said, he's just dynamic on the ground, and that's just something that's really hard to game plan against. Like, I mean, as we've seen with so many running quarterbacks um, in the NFL, they're, they're successful just simply because you have to defend so many things. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm going to – like, my original pick was the Browns to cover, but I feel like I'm picking that in spite of my reasoning right now. I, I – I don't feel too confident, but I'm I'm just gonna stick with my pick because I changed a lot of my my pr- 
preconceived picks last week, and that kind of burned me. Um, so I'm just going to stick with the Browns pick. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, this definitely has upset potential. I agree with you. I wouldn't be too surprised at the, at the Bears cover. Um, yeah, and everyone wants to talk about the Browns running game and how potent that is, but the, the Bears have had a, a potent running attack through the first uh, – two weeks of the season as well. They're running the football really effectively too. And now to add Justin Fields to that equation, it makes it all the more difficult to game plan for. Right, exactly. So I do think I do think Cleveland wins, but I think I'm feeling that Chicago can keep it close. Okay. Now it comes to my game. Um, Cincinnati four and a half point underdog um, at Pittsburgh. I'm taking Cincinnati Plus four and a half, and I won't be surprised if they win. Uh, number one, Pittsburgh is dealing already with a bunch of injuries to important defensive personnel. T.J. Watt, groin injury, questionable to play Sunday. Devin Bush, groin injury, questionable to play Sunday. Joe Hayden, knee injury, questionable to play Sunday. Didn't play last Sunday. Devin Bush didn't play last Sunday. T.J. Watt got hurt in the game last Sunday, which really did the Steelers in. Uh, now, no Tyson Allen Wiley for the rest of the year in the middle of that defense. No step on to it. They're just banged up defensively. A lot of these guys are going to come back eventually, but since I don't know the status of their key defensive players, and that's bad because when they can't rush the passer, the secondary looks bad. Um, and number two, the offense is just, I think, so far... Too early to really make any calls yet, but so far it's been what many fans feared coming in. It's an offense with talented young receivers and playmakers, but they have a spotty offensive line, if that. Uh, they have their moments, like individually, but they've yet to come together as a group. They're still gelling, and that's going to take a while. It's a spotty offensive line with an immobile quarterback um, and no running game whatsoever. Um, And that's bad. Uh, So given what I think, uh, based off the injuries, how the offense has performed to this point, maybe this is a bounce that game. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. It's this one. but I'm going to take Cincinnati minus four and a half on the road against the Steelers. I don't know if they game, but I wouldn't be one bit surprised. Yeah, I'd, I I had a lot of trouble picking this game. I, I mean, I can see it going either way, but I definitely think the spread is a little bit too high. Um, I, I think... In terms of the actual result of the game, it could go either way, but I think the spread is a bit unrealistic. Um, I think Cincinnati can cover this pretty comfortably because I think these two teams are a lot closer um, than a lot of people may think. Obviously, Pittsburgh is a lot more experienced, and that might... um, 
that might help them, obviously, in this game. Um, but I just think Joe Burrow and all their weapons that they have um, in the secondary, as you said, with the Steelers struggling as they have been, um, I just think it's kind of the perfect storm for the Bengals to be really competitive in this game. Yeah, and here's what I'll say. I think if T.J. Watt and Devin Bush and Joe Hayden end up playing on Sunday, I think Pittsburgh will win the game. I still think Cincinnati will cover. But if those guys don't play like they did last week, I think Cincinnati has a real chance to win uh, because people don't realize. Everyone wants to talk about Aaron Donald and how he gets double team and triple teamed all the time. And, you know, it's kind of unfair to compare him and T.J. Watt because T.J. Watt's a true outside linebacker and Aaron Donald's a true defensive tackle. They're playing two totally different positions. Uh, but they're two of the, uh, arguably, the two best defensive players in the game. Uh, but people don't realize how important T.J. Watt is. Like, he makes the Steelers' pass rush what it is. Obviously, they have other great individual players, the Cam Haywards of the world. Alex Highsmith is a young guy who's developing and uh, still coming into his own. Melvin Ingram has looked great the past two weeks. They have guys who can get there, but TJ Watt is really what makes this uh, pass rush what it is and what it's been the past four years ever since he was drafted because he requires that much attention. And everyone wants to talk about how Aaron Donald you know, it's double team and triple team. It's the same thing with T.J. Watt there because he's just that volatile and that disruptive uh, as a pass rusher. Right. Uh, and that's really where Pittsburgh is supposed to have the advantage in most of these matchups is that if you have a, uh, if you don't have a top-notch offensive and you're a team that isn't really a potent running team and you're going to have to drop back and pass a lot of these times, Pittsburgh is going to get to you. But without T.J. Watt, uh, it's like once he went out of the game late second quarter, I don't think they touched Derek Carr the rest of the game. Like it was that. They, could, they couldn't get any pressure whatsoever. And that that's what killed them. Uh, the secondary is fine. But the secondary really plays off of the pass rush. Right. That's right. how they make those plays. So I don't know. That's just my little rant there. Uh, so I think if maybe like two of the three players play, um, Pittsburgh probably wins just because they. That's the defense is just that good, and I don't think one game should define them. Um, but if they don't, I could really foresee Cincinnati actually coming out on top uh, in this game. But it's rare that a Mike Tomlin coach team loses two straight games at home. So we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm going to make my pick for this next game pretty fast, and, and then I'm going to run to the restroom here. Um, so Colts at Titans. Um, I'm going to pick the Titans to cover here. Um, the five and a half point spread at home. Um, 
just question marks on Carson Wentz's health. That's that's really what it comes down to here. And I just think the Titans are rolling. Um, coming off of last week, I think that offense finally clicked in that second half. And I think it's just going to carry over into this week. I mean, the Colts defense is um, really solid. But um, without Darius Leonard in there in the middle, um, I I have a hard time calling them good or to elite you know that that's the that's the difference here I think if the Colts had an elite defense like say the Patriots I think this game would be kept close and I think they could probably cover even with Carson Wentz being somewhat injured or or so or something like that but um with the defense being good instead of great I have I find myself less confident and them being able to stop this yeah. Tennessee offense. So I'm, I'm going to run to the restroom here while you make your pick. I'll be right back. Sunday. It's uh, 
Kansas City hosting the Chargers in a, in a key divisional matchup. Um, so what do you think here? Um, I, I think the Chargers will cover. I think the Chiefs will win. But, um, I mean, obviously I don't feel entirely confident because obviously, obviously that Kansas City offense has the capability to explode at any moment. But um, given that the Chargers defense has played pretty well to start the year and given how the Kansas City defense has looked um, I just have to go based on that um, to say like I think this game will be pretty close just simply because I don't know um, if Kansas City will be able to stop the Chargers that's that's what it comes down to I think their defense um, might get exposed this week already been exposed. Right. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs seem to be figuring things out defensively. And we remember um, what was it, two years ago when they won the Super Bowl, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. The first 12 that season, the defense was really a question mark. I mean, they really heated up going into the playoffs. The last quarter of the season going into the playoffs, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, so they have time to get it together, but it's been a real concern. It's been like pretty, pretty bad uh, through the first two weeks. Run defense in particular has been terrible, and they played, don't get me wrong, they played two elite running teams already in the Browns and the Ravens. Like those are the two of the best uh, running teams in the entire NFL, um, but it's been bad regardless. Um, they've given up 404 total rushing yards, that's 200, over 200 yards to each team uh, when you divide it out. Uh, that's by far last in the NFL to this point. Uh, small sample size, but nevertheless, not good. Uh, uh, and then situationally, which this Chiefs defense has prided themselves on, being good in the red zone, being good on third downs, being good in these situations, they haven't been that. Uh, in the first couple of weeks. Uh, teams have been in the red zone eight times. They scored eight touchdowns. So they're converting a 100% clip in the red zone so far. And they're also converting 45% of their third downs. Um, so they haven't been good situationally. They can't stop the bleeding when it comes to the run game. Uh, so when you think about what it takes to beat a Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs team in Arrowhead, well, you have to run the football. And the Chiefs defense can't stop the run. So it plays right into the Chargers' hands. And it's really not that much of a mismatch at quarterback here, Justin Herbert. Um, so say what you want about the Chargers last week. Uh, and the Cowboys, you know, beat them there and square. But the Chargers had, I believe it was 11 or 12 penalties. Two of them took away key, like, key plays, touchdowns. Right, right. That could have swung that game in the other – in the other direction. Um, so I think they'll play a more disciplined brand of football this week, and I think they'll keep it close, even if Kansas City wins. I think it could honestly come down to who gets the ball last. Like, I think it's that type of sort of game. But I do think with the Chargers' ability to run on this Chiefs defense and uh, milk that clock, and then Justin Herbert's ability to make big plays with his arm, uh, they can keep up with 
they can keep up with this Chiefs team. Uh, just limit their possessions. And right now, this Chargers defense uh, looks a lot better than this Kansas City defense. So, right, but I, I could also see it from the angle of you know, the Chiefs losing that big game last week and then kind of coming out this week more focused and more energized. I mean, I could see it that way also because um, I feel like it's it's hard to have a great team lose two games in a row. I mean, it happens from time to time, but um, very, very rarely. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But you know what? That's the beauty of the NFL. Yeah. It's a lot of parity. Right. A lot of uncertainty. So, any given Sunday. Right. Exactly. Right. The next game, the next game, uh, New Orleans Saints, coming off a disappointing performance after a great performance against Green Bay uh, to a divisional opponent in the Carolina Panthers, going on the road at New England and Mac Jones. Um, I'll give you my pick first for this one. Um, I have New England minus two and a half at home against Jameis Winston. Uh, Mac Jones has been unquestionably, and I know that Trey Lance hasn't played yet, and Justin Fields has played a limited number of snaps, and Trevor Lawrence is working with a first-time NFL head coach and a rebuilding team and all this stuff. But he's been unquestionably the best rookie quarterback through the first two weeks of the season. Zach Wilson struggled quite a bit last week. Um, he's completing 74% of his throws, 467 yards total, uh, 70 yards per attempt, only one touchdown, but no interceptions. He's not making that mistake. And that's really what we said about him in the draft process, is he's that cerebral guy who's not going to make that mistake. Uh, that's really what he's proven to be over the first two weeks of the season. So, New England, with Bill Belichick, no, they're not going to beat themselves. Uh, just a quick little other note, back point on Matt Jones, that might be of interest to some of you. Uh, Matt Jones is the first quarterback since 1950 uh, with 30-plus pass and above a 70% completion percentage in each of his first two career starts. Um, so wow. that's number one. And, and number two, uh, the only other quarterback since 1950 that has had a 60-plus 60 60 plus pass attempts and uh, over 70% completion percentage in his first and zero interceptions in his first two career starts. The only other quarterback to do that was Aaron Rodgers. Uh, oh, wow. So there you go. Take for that which, what you will. Um, but, you know, he's attempting a good amount of passes, he's completing a good amount of passes, and he's not turning the ball over. And that's something we talk about with Aaron Rodgers all the time. Uh, he doesn't throw many interceptions. He's only had like one or two seasons where he's thrown double-digit picks. Right. So far, some people say they want to see him throw the ball downfield a bit more, but I think that will come as as he gets more comfortable. Um, New England has a good running game. They have a great defense. And I see them winning this game by a field goal, just based on the fact that they have a quarterback that's playing well, their defense is playing well, and they have a formula with this running game as well. Um, so that's just what I think. What do you think? Right, exactly. 
I I have this as my lock of the week based on everything you just said, and um, I've I've pinpointed this game as the lock of the week just simply because this line I just think is way too small. I mean, just uh, all they got to do is win by a field goal. I feel I think that feels um, very realistic considering they're playing in Foxborough. Um, you have an unproven quarterback coming in. And, and James Winston, um, I mean, as long as he's been in the league, I mean, he's not proven um, in terms of winning on the road in a hostile environment against a great defense. I just don't – I got to see it to believe it, to, uh, to put it simply. Um, I haven't seen it, um, so I'm not going to bet on it. So Patriots minus two and a half. I feel extremely confident in that. And hopefully I can get my first win on a lock because <laughs> we have been missing a lot on these locks, man. <laughs> We're 0-4, 0-2 both on locks. But it's only week two. Yep. Um, so we have time to correct that. But nevertheless, you haven't hit on a lock. And once we do start hitting on locks, that can really swing this, the way this competition uh, we're about halfway through, a little over halfway through our picks for week three. I wanted to update you. I forgot earlier to update you on how last week went. Um, basically, he went, he went seven and nine, but really seven and ten with the extra loss uh, with the lock. He had uh, the Rams minus three and a half. That almost hit. The Rams only won by three. So he got closer than I did to hitting my lock. So he went 7-9 and nine straight up, 7-10 and 10 with the extra loss due to the lock. He's 15-19 and 19 overall. Uh, that's really 15-17, and 17, but two extra losses there due to two missed locks. I went another round of 8-8, eight and eight, really 8-9 eight and nine with my missed lock pick, and I'm an overall of 16-8. and eight. Um, so I'm about a game ahead of Emmy right now, uh, based off the fact that I had the Giants. He, um, I believe, late in last podcast, changed his pick from the Giants to the football team. That kind of, that's where it separates as of right now. Uh, but yeah, that's where we stand right now. So a long way to go, but that's where we stand. So not terrible, not bad, of course. But obviously, we would like to do a little better. Than so that's right. where we stand heading into week three. Right. So yep. we will resume. Washington football team, they've had a lot of time to think about the Buffalo Bills yep. in Buffalo. Buffalo is a big favorite here. Minus eight and a half coming off a blowout, a shutout blowout of the Miami Dolphins. Uh, so what do you think? Um... Well, I think I think the Washington football team will cover um, this. Uh, this line feels big. I, I think the Bills kind of. I mean, they beat a team that was they obviously struggling offensively, but also they lost their quarterback like right at the end of the first quarter. So, um, picking a line this big against, in my opinion, a better team and a more obviously prepared team given that they had a longer time to prepare it as you mentioned um i think ron rivera will come in with a good defensive game plan um and i think 
the Washington defense will play a lot better than they did last week um, because last week they were coming on a short week, and this week they got more time to prepare, and this pass rush is going to bow their necks back because this Buffalo team likes to pass it a lot. I agree with you. Yeah. Um, this Tyler Taylor Heineke can he can play. That's been that's been proven right, right. to this point. But the couple starts this year in that playoff game last year. Uh, we know this kid can play. Um, the throw he made to I forget who it was, but it was in the corner of the end zone. He put that ball last week in the only place his receiver could go get it to take the lead in that game. Uh, he was fading away. Like, it was a perfectly placed ball. Uh, he did make, like, one mistake late that almost cost him, but ended up not costing him. But that was – that's pretty much, like, the only blemish on his record uh, as of yet. Um, and I just think we haven't really seen the real Washington defense, that front seven, really show up yet. And I – think with some extra time for Ron Rivera to prepare for this game um, we're going to see uh, a Buffalo team that likes to pass the ball a lot as he mentioned has an okay offensive line but an offensive line as we saw in week one that if you have a, a, a super talented front seven and you have a scheme and you have guys who can get to the quarterback they can be beat Right. So, Buffalo's playing at home. I don't think they're going to lose another home game yet, at least uh, to a team of Washington football team's caliber. But Washington football team can keep this close, for sure, for sure. Right. So, we both agree there. Okay. Miami Dolphins at Las Vegas Raiders. What do you think? Um... I'm big in the Raiders here. Um, I it feels it feels like a trap game because I mean I I think Jacoby Brissett is a lot more serviceable than he showed last week. Um, just kind of being thrown into the game in the 14 point deficit. I mean that that's not kind of, that's not really what his skill set is best for. Um, he's really more of a game manager type, and I think he can manage the game well. But um, it's tough. It's tough to really know what to expect from this Dolphins offense. Um, And I just think the Raiders, they're playing some really good football right now. Um, And I feel pretty comfortable saying that they'll win by a touchdown or so. This is my lock of the week. Raiders minus three and a half over the Dolphins. Um, first of all, <laughs> questions at quarterback for the uh, and uh, honestly all around on offense for the Dolphins. Right. Um, so you have that. And on the other side, you have, have Derek Carr, who um, I think you can make an argument. Uh, going back all the way, if you went back all the way to like the end of the 2019 season, 
Derek Carr has been a fringe top 10 quarterback in the NFL just based on the fact the way he's produced, the, the numbers that he's put up. Oh, for so, sure, 100%. Small, small sample size, okay, against two good defenses in Baltimore and Pittsburgh, okay, one at home, one on the road. The Baltimore game was obviously on a Monday night, then he had to travel all the way across country to Pittsburgh, play an early window game against a really tough defense. In those two games, he's 2-0, and completing 67% of his passes, okay, for over 800 yards, four touchdowns, only one pick, and a 104.1 quarterback rate. But as I said, we can stretch that sample size out to about the past 22 games. So that dates all the way back to the end of the 2019 season, uh, where he has basically the same sort of stat line, completing 68% of his passes, over 6,000 yards, 8.1 8.1 yards per attempt, so he's throwing the ball downfield at a consistent rate. 40 total touchdowns to just 10 interceptions, so that 4 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio stands over that time period with a 103 quarterback rate. And now he's winning games. And say what you want, we, we, we talk shit about this. Um, excuse my language. We talk crap about. And I think everyone sort of did about this Raiders defense coming into the season. Mm-hmm. We had our questions, and rightfully so. But I think you can throw whatever you saw last season out the window. Because this defense, for whatever reason, is playing at a they, – they look like a totally different team. The pass rush is much improved with the addition of Yannick and Galkway. Max Crosby looks like a bona fide uh, – I don't want to say star yet, but he looks like a bona fide guy uh, that can get home, get to the quarterback. And their secondary is playing. They're playing good enough. So I just – I haven't seen anything from the Dolphins to suggest that they're going to go cross-country to the West Coast, to Las Vegas, to a raucous crowd, okay, that's playing their second game in a stadium – against a team that's playing really well, a defense that's playing well, and an MVP sort of caliber start for Derek Carr. I just don't see anything to suggest that Miami can come in, even though I do think they have the advantage at coach. I do think Brian Flores is a better coach than John Gruden, obviously. Uh, I just don't I, – I haven't seen anything from Miami to suggest they can, they can uh, come in here and upset the Raiders. Um, right. And I know it's it's man. Who would have thought the Raiders might start three and zero? It's it's crazy, but that's give credit to John Gruden and all those everyone inside the Raiders organization. Right, exactly. So. And I'm someone who has been critical of the Raiders, but I they're making me eat my words. Um, that defense looks really, really solid. And um, their new defensive coordinator, I can't think of his name right now, but he's doing an extremely good job of just teaching just, like, the fundamentals, just coaching the fundamentals. Um, just the simple things like um, having gap discipline, just 
staying home in your zone and just simple things like just making the tackle when you need to. Those are the things that the Raiders just were missing on these last few years. And that, and I thought it was a talent thing, but maybe it wasn't a talent thing. Maybe it was coaching this whole time. Yeah. Okay, so that is my lock of the week. All right, we'll go, we'll go fairly quicker on these last four or five games. Right. Uh, yep. Real fast. No real explanation. You can give like a one or two sentence explanation if you want. Uh, New York Jets at Denver Broncos minus ten and a half though. It is a big line. What do you think? I'm taking the Broncos. Zach Wilson's hurt. Okay, I'll take the Broncos as well. That's a new nugget of information to me. Um, and I just don't like the Jets. Uh, I like the way the Broncos are playing. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Apparently, uh, Zach Wilson injured his groin, so he's uh, questionable to play. It's 12.40 a.m. on a Thursday now when we are recording this, and I started to type Denver Nuggets. <laughs> 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 <The> French. <laughs> hey, happens to the best yeah. of us. No big deal. But really, the Denver Nuggets maybe could beat the Jets in football. Hey, Jokic is a beast tight end. Just saying. Or maybe even quarterback. (laughs) Alright. Alright. Regardless, we gotta move on. Yeah. Um, Okay, Seattle. uh, Bad loss last week. They had a 23-9 lead and a 30-16 lead going into the fourth quarter against the Titans. They ended up losing. Uh, They're on the road against the 0-2 Vikings team. That really should be that really I guess it's a couple plays away from being two and out, right? Two. Um, so what do you think? Um, I'm gonna pick the Vikings. No real reason, just going with my gut here. All right, I'm gonna pick Seattle. Um, just because I think that. First of all, they're really good against the spread and coming off a loss. And they've been really good against the Vikings for whatever reason. They've had the Vikings number. The Vikings are 0-7 straight up against Russell Wilson. Uh, a 2-5 against the spread, including losses each of the past three years, so pretty recently. Um, and the defense, the Vikings defense, has been very susceptible to giving up big plays uh, for whatever reason. Uh, so far this season, uh, they've given up uh, an average of four explosive plays per game. And by explosive plays, I mean completions of 20-plus uh, yards down the field. Um, and last year, they had the problem with this as well, giving up about three-and-a-half explosive plays per game. So for whatever reason, they give up some big plays. Russell Wilson, if anybody is going to take advantage of those big plays, uh, with uh, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and all the weapons that he has, he's one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL. Yeah, and I think Seattle, Seattle. But I almost taught my—I will say, when doing my prep, I almost taught myself into picking the Vikings. I just have some questions about how healthy is Dalvin Cook right now. I think he could be a little bit compromised. Yeah. Uh, he's I play, but he's dealing with something. Um, so, 
and I think I think the Seattle defense just got tired. I don't think that fourth quarter is a is a good representation of how much the Seattle defense has improved, um, especially the pass rush. Um, so I think it could go either way. But if you're giving if you're saying Seattle only needs basically a field goal or more to cover the spread, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take those odds with the better quarterback than most of us. Yeah, I know I said I was gonna go with Minnesota, but you just you just convinced me right there. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Seattle. I <laughs> I mean she I, I I forgot Dalvin Cook was injured. That's good that plays a big part in it for sure. This game is going to be so good. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to pick the Bucks because because Tom Brady. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I've had so many times where I've picked against Tom Brady and gotten burnt. I mean, I'm just going to – I'm going to go with the better quarterback here. I, I think the – Teams overall are similar in build, I guess, in, in strengths, I guess. Their their strengths are their defense. Obviously, that defensive line on both teams is really good. And then the explosive offenses. Um, but I just think Tom Brady is going to be able to run the offense a little bit better. Just that slightest bit. Um one thing I will say, though, is that the Rams are top-heavy, and um, they're, they have less injuries now than when it would be in, in say, an NFC Championship, uh, in theory, after a whole season's worth of football. So if they're going to beat this Bucks team, it would be right now. I just It's just really hard for me to pick against Tom Brady. Uh, when he was in his 20s. He's going to end up throwing more 
touchdowns in his 40s than in his 20s, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, given that he's only 44. Um, and he's... I don't think he would be, I guess... He showed no signs of decline. Let's just say that. He's gotten that. better, to be um, honest. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. You, you could definitely mark an argument. He's gotten better. Uh as he's aged um so and obviously he has a bunch of toys uh, to play with and a very talented roster surrounding him that right, right but he's the goat he's tom brady and i know that i'm probably gonna get hit in the ass for picking the rams but i'm picking the rams just because i want to pick the rams i do really like sean McVay. In two games, and I know this is sort of abstract, but in two games between Sean McVay and defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Rams have put up some pretty golly numbers um, against this Todd Bowles defense. They've thrown the ball 121 times and only run the ball 26 times um, and I'll tell you why I bring that up in a minute uh, but they in two matchups they have gained over 930 yards scored 67 points and that's all despite six turnovers in those games from a limited quarterback in Jericho now they have a quarterback that's not limited in what he can do and that's going up against let's be honest a banged-up Tampa Bay secondary that hasn't looked all that great up until this point. Uh, we know what they are as a front seven, and we know they can get to the quarterback and stop the run, but that's the reason I brought up um, this uh, stat. Um, in the two games against Todd Bowles defense, the, the Rams have thrown the ball pretty much six times as much as they run the ball. And they've had success doing that with a limited quarterback in Jerry Goff. And now they take a step up with Matthew Stafford. Uh, so it's pretty much a given that they're probably not going to be able to run the ball very effectively against this Tampa Bay defense because Tampa Bay is one of the best run defense statistically. And they're dealing with my AirPods just died. It happens, whatever. Still works fine. They're dealing with some injuries in that running back room. Daryl Henderson, um, I believe, is going to be out for this game, so they're down to their third string in Sony Michelle. Uh, but they've had total success uh, in passing the ball against Todd Bowles' defenses with limited quarterbacks. Uh, now they have uh, Matthew Stafford. And I just think right now, Los Angeles has something that Tampa Bay doesn't. And that is they have a shutdown cornerback who can totally take one of their best weapons out of this game in Jalen Andrews. Last week he allowed a 0.0 quarterback uh, rating when targeted um, playing the Colts. He's I mean, he's that type of guy. There's only a couple guys like this in the NFL. He can take your best weapon, a Mike Evans, a Chris Godwin, out of this game. Totally. 
Um, and now with the loss of Antonio Brown, who's on the COVID, IL or whatever it is, um, and I know Gronk has had a resurgence, and Chris Godwin, and they have a bunch of other weapons, but playing at home, say what you want, Tom Brady can win anywhere he goes, but it is, it is his first game in the city of Los Angeles. I know that's hard to believe. He's played in San Diego. He's played in Oakland. He's played in San Francisco. He's never played in L.A. This will be his first time going up against a, a defense that I believe in, and I just think um, the Rams... If, if you're going to be Tampa Bay, it's got to be now. Um, I think they may capitalize on this opportunity. And why not do it because it is a pickup? Take my chance now rather than wait. Right. And right. I can definitely see that happening, just to put that out there. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, so, moving on. Um, last game of the Sunday slate, I believe. Um yes. Yep, Sunday Night Football, right? Yep. Uh, Packers at 49ers. 49ers are favored minus three and a half. What do you got? Um, I really haven't thought about this game too much, to be honest with you. This is where my prep stops. <laughs> I did prep for all the other games, and I stopped at these two because it was just a the time. Um, I know... That Green Bay ended up beating Detroit pretty soundly. They played really good in that second half. Ended up blowing them out. But up until that point, I think Green Bay has been totally outplayed and out physical for six out of the eight quarters that they've played football this season. Obviously, they were totally embarrassed by the Saints who we've won. In that first half, they didn't look particularly. Uh, I guess imposing or scary, if you will, at home against a team they normally dominate in the Detroit Lions. Um, I know they have Aaron Jones, they have Devontae Adams, but I know they have the obviously the advantage at quarterback, but I think I'm going to take the physical Kyle Shanahan I'm going to pick the Packers to cover here. Um, I don't I don't think they'll win the game. I think the Niners will make the couple extra plays to get it done. But um, really it just comes down to I don't think the Niners offense has that much explosiveness to really pull away. Um, I think – this game's going to be neck and neck. I think in years past, the Niners would have pulled away because they had, they would have had Mostert. They would have had uh, Tevin Coleman, all those running backs. But this year is different. They're going to have to rely on that right arm of Jimmy Garoppolo and kind of um, 
lean on these uh, rookie, young rookie running backs who may not even be healthy. Trace Herman is questionable to play. Elijah Molden is, is uh, no, not Elijah Molden. It's uh, Elijah something. Um, he's question. He, he's questionable to play as well. So um, that running back situation is a question mark, and I think whoever whoever's in there is going to be effective. But I I think um, not as effective as it could be, and that's why I think the Packers will be able to keep it close. Okay. Last game of the week, Monday Night Um, well, first thing I'll say is it's going to be really interesting to see how the Cowboys use the linebacker rotation against this Eagles offense. Um, because obviously Jalen Hurts with his running ability, um, I'd assume that you'd want to have Michael Parsons in there a lot more just simply because of his ranginess. But I could be wrong. I just think Micah Parsons would be better as a spy than, say, Jalen Smith. But what do I know? Um, But getting to the point, I'm going to pick the Eagles to cover, um, but I'm going to pick the Cowboys to win. Um, I just think these two teams are... I mean, I don't think they're at they're at the same level talent wise. I think the Cowboys are more talented, but um, given that it's a divisional matchup, it's always high intensity, high energy uh, on both sides, high emotions always. Um, I just think it's just bound to be a close game. Um, these teams match up decently well. I think Jalen Hurts will be able to run the ball. Against the Cowboys, I, I mean, we, our defense has played well, but um, it's not like we've been world beaters or anything on that end. Um, so I think the the Eagles will be able to run the ball pretty well um, and maybe get a shot or two over the top with those uh, two young wide receivers um, who I think by the end of the season might establish themselves as maybe a, a top – six or seven wide receiver duo in football. I, I genuinely believe that. Um, Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager, I mean, that's that's a pretty legit duo. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I think I agree with everything you said there. Um, so I am going to take the Cowboys win, but the Eagles keep it close. It's just, like... Divisional games, you have a lot of familiarity here between these two teams. They tend to just be close, right? More energy, more, I guess, intensity, as you said, uh, coming into these weeks. Uh, but Philadelphia, they're, they're really good um, both on the offensive line and the defensive line as long as they're healthy. Um, so I think this game could come down to um, the trenches and what, which, um, which defensive front does a better job getting pressure and obviously containing 
the other team's uh, quarterback because that I think both quarterbacks are threats to make plays with their legs. Obviously, we've seen that from both. Um, but Philadelphia, they're a team that's also surprised me up until this point. Even though they did end up losing uh, last week, uh, they they're playing some good football. So that that'll be that's a good Monday night match. I like that. Um, Philadelphia at Dallas, the big matchup in the SC. So those are our picks. As we did last week, um, go ahead and look over your picks for a week, and because it's block after we sign off on this episode. So then look your picks if there's anything you'd like to change. And I will do the same for my picks. Um You don't have to change anything. Because last week it didn't work out so well for both of us. If you do Yeah, I I, I know I said I wasn't gonna change anything, but um, the more I look at it, the more that Detroit Lions pick looks like kind of sits out there like a sore thumb. Um, I think I'm gonna switch it over to the Ravens. I, 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 they're, I just think they're in such a tight division, and you know they know what's on the line. They know they need to, they need to get take care of business in there, um, and I think they will. I don't think I don't think that Lions defense is going to be able to stop that offense. So we'll see, though. But that, that's the only one. I think I'm going to keep mine as is. Just go with it. Yeah, I got to make a I got to make up a game or two anyway. So I'm fine with having a couple games um, we don't disagree on. So yeah, and it's early. So regardless of what happens, we've, we've got 15 more weeks after. Right, exactly. We can't, we can't be, like, declaring winners at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's going to do it for the – and I'll let Amy do the final um, sign-up. But that's going to do it for episode 74 of the Raw Cross Podcast. We talked about the Ryder Cup. Uh, Finns, that's, that's tomorrow, right? Or, I guess, today. Because it's yeah, today, yeah. Because it is, it is tomorrow. Um. Um, and we obviously, as always, provided you for the third consecutive week with our picks against the spread for each and every uh, NFL game. This is the third straight week for all 32 teams are playing. I believe buys start, is it next week or the week after? Do you know? Um, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Um, regardless, I, yeah. regardless, uh, whether it's next week or the week after, uh, either of the two, um, we'll start to have teams that are on buys and we'll have a couple less games to pick. So these episodes probably won't be as long, but since we have to pick all 16 games, uh, these episodes have run a little bit long, but that's okay. We have a lot on our minds, a lot we have to say. Um, this week, coming up, I think we're going to have an extra episode. Uh, I think. Not 100% sure, but I think we're probably going to have an extra episode. There are some other things we need to cover. 
uh, we had a pretty wild uh, playoff race going on in baseball right now uh, with about, I don't know, I think we have 10 days left in the regular season. So we'll talk about that. Uh, a lot to cover there. A lot I want to say about that. And then there are a couple NBA storylines swirling out there uh, that we'll talk about as well. Most likely in a Friday episode that will probably come out on Saturday. So watch out for that. If we don't do it, we'll probably do it next week. Uh, but that's what's coming up. We'll obviously be back next Monday for four picks. Um, and yeah, so that's what's to look out for here on the Raw CrossFit Podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe. We really uh, appreciate that. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, not yeah, not much to say after that. Yeah, man. Uh, peace out, y'all. Um, have a good week three, I guess. <laughs> peace out.